Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Mangelson, and today I am excited to bring you another episode in our Fair Trade series. Now, Fair Trade are our episodes where we go over faith transition stories from members in Community of Christ. And today we have on Patty Walrod, who is a member in the Southern California area, who has a really interesting um, and unique story about how she found Community of Christ. And so I'm really, really excited to sit down with her and for you all to hear her story. So thank you, Patty, for joining us today. You're welcome. Glad to join everyone. So Patty, let's just start at the beginning and you can define the beginning uh, wherever you want. But what did faith look like in your life when you were growing up? So growing up, it's, um, I would say I grew up in what some could call an unchurched home, meaning we didn't get up and go to church every morning or every Sunday morning. What that meant was in many ways, I could say we were culturally Christian in the sense that we celebrated Christmas as a family. I came from a traditional home of mom and dad and mom stayed at home and um, we, we didn't go to church as kids. My dad grew up in a Catholic home and my mom uh, didn't go to church when she was growing up. Her parents left it as we're going to um, leave it to them to make their own decisions on on faith. And that was my mom's philosophy with my brother and I, because my parents also couldn't come up with in an agreement on should we take the kids to the Catholic church or not. And my Mom early on didn't have a good experience with a Catholic priest because she had considered becoming Catholic. And so the ultimate decision was, we're just going to let them uh, make their own decisions. And so, but what also happened with that was in growing up in San Diego, my surrounding friends were involved in church. And I always found that intriguing. And, and I had a friend who was a Mormon and I could tell things in her life were different as opposed to some of my other friends. And so very early on, she, she got me a, a book of Mormon and a doctrine and covenants. And I think I was in junior high at that point. And the Osmonds were very popular at that time. So we're talking mid to late seventies and and also, at the same time in the Reader's Digest, um, the LDS Church were putting um, little little faith explanations or brochures within the Reader's Digest that you could um, pull out. And I found myself reading those. So I was, I was very intrigued by what I was picking up from, from that particular faith community. I wasn't really hearing that much about faith from other faith traditions. And my dad didn't do a lot to encourage or to propose discussion about the faith that he grew up in. And he had his own issues and concerns about 
his his own Catholic tradition that he grew up in. So I just found myself um, being intrigued and interested in this one particular faith movement, the Mormon faith. And then my mom had told me, she says, well, your your grandpa had grew up as Mormons and his parents came from Denmark as Mormon converts and settled in Utah. So in school, they talk a lot about the, as far as like in history, the journey that our families have made from other parts of the world to come to the United States. And so that was a natural progression as far as learning about not only history, but your own family history. So out of all of that, I found myself wanting to learn more about this one particular faith movement. And the more I learned and was, I would run into uh, missionaries. And one time I even asked for information to be sent to the home and they showed up at the house and my parents were not happy with that. And I think I was about 14 at the time. And so we, we had a very, one of those parental child discussions about you do not want to go down that particular path. And I didn't really understand the rationality of the reason why. And then about the same time period, there was a, um, a lot of discussion on the Equal Rights Amendment. And one particular woman who was LDS was in the press a lot because she had strong feelings on the Equal Rights Amendment. Her name was Sonia Johnson. And she eventually was ex- excommunicated for what she was trying to do with the Equal Rights Amendment, with other women within her faith movement. And I didn't really understand a lot of that. And I just knew that from what my father had told me about his expectations for me as a woman, that maybe the traditional views that the LDS Church had about women were not correct. And I didn't have faith or religion to base those views on, um, but I, there's just something about that, that that didn't feel right with the way I was raised. So being the book person I was, I started to poke around in books to learn more about faith. And then that is how I learned about this reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is what um, the community of Christ was commonly known for then. And there happened to be an address for the church in this one particular book. And so in about, I think it was September of 1979, I wrote a letter to the church asking for more information. And also about the same time, I was working on a project with my mom, and which involved going into the yellow pages and looking up information. And I found this church's section. And I looked up Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints just to see if there was any close by. And there was. And there was the Claremont Congregation. And then I quickly wrote down the address and 
And I got on my bike soon after that, and I rode and found where the actual church was. And I found myself peeking through the windows to see, you know, if I could see anything based on, you know, just me being nosy, I guess. And I found this huge coffee pot sitting on the counter of the kitchen. And I went, well, I can tell that they already interpret the word of wisdom differently than what the Mormon church did. And so I found out what the hours of the church and the last Sunday of December of 1979, I got up early and I rode my bike to to church one Sunday and I stayed for church school. And since I snuck off without my mom knowing where I was at, um, I had to be sure to get back home before I knew she had was going to get up and because uh, she slept in late on Sundays and my dad went golfing on Sunday mornings. I only had to deal with her that morning. And so I met and I guess you could say the rest is history as far as what that meeting was like. But I had tons of questions and the people there were willing to answer them. And they had lots of books for me to look at that explored the differences between the two faiths. And so it was a very um, encouraging experience. We had a great youth leader at the time. And um, I guess there was lots of thinking, but at the same time, there was a sense of um, I had already made this decision that this this faith movement was what I had wanted, and I made a decision like eight months later I was going to become a member of the church, and that I needed to give my family time to adjust to this decision, and I was going to give them eight months to do that, and so I was already planning my my baptism that it was going to happen but I wanted my family there for it. So at the old San Diego Central Congregation, I was baptized. And then on September 3rd, 1980, I was confirmed. So it was 38 years ago today that I was confirmed as a member of the church. So thank you for um, celebrating that with me today. Yeah, that was a fun little coincidence when we were scheduling this interview. So Patty, I'm curious because it sounds like your dad had some concerns about the role of women in the LDS church um, when you were, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote, investigating that. But you came into Community of Christ before women were ordained. Um, yes. And so I, I'm curious. Well, and I just, I appreciated that you pointed out that you had a stay at home mom as well. So it sounds mm-hmm. like you had, you know, a pretty traditional upbringing, but your dad was still concerned about the roles of women. And it sounds like he had some ambitions for you. So I'm wondering um, how those conversations were with your dad when he realized that you were strongly considering and even planning a baptism towards joining the RLDS church. Um, Were those same concerns about the roles of women, et cetera, um, in, in your conversations with him about that? That actually had not come up. In my growing up, there was never a sense... I don't remember a distinct conversation with him, but I do remember him saying, you will go on and graduate from high school, you will go on from college, and you will get your education, and you will pick a career path, 
Now, if you choose to go on and become a wife and a mother, that's awesome. But this is what I want for you. You, I have the same expectations for you that I have for your brother. But as far as from a faith, he didn't learn enough about my particular faith transition. I later found out he had wanted me to, he thought of me as exploring lots of different faith transitions and then hopefully setting on Catholic, on the Catholic faith. But, um, but I think he was disappointed that that did not happen, that I didn't pursue that particular path. He had his, I later found out he had his selfish reasons for me wanting to choose Catholic, so it would give him an excuse to go back to church. And I, I don't know the whole discussion as far as why he chose not to go to church with mom not going. Maybe it was he wanted to go as a united couple to church, but if he had a child that went, um, he would have another person to go with. So I never fully understood why all of that, but he never voiced it to me. He, um, he did go to my baptism and he did go to my confirmation, but there were over the years, and especially early on, there was there were times where he would kind of make fun of different aspects of the faith. Like there was one time he, at Thanksgiving, he said, why don't you offer the blessing over the meal? And, but it was the tone that he said it. And, and I chose not to because I felt like I was being made fun of. Mm. And then another time I, a family gathering, Back in Kansas, that's where my family is originally from. He and my mom were talking to an other family members about me being in this particular church, and he found it amusing that we used grape juice in lieu of wine for communion. And I could tell by his tone he thought that was kind of ridiculous. But um, so there was a sense of he never voiced it to me, but from what I was picking up from conversations I had heard and from other people that he didn't fully agree with or even maybe respect some of the religious choices I had made. But he never he never had me stop going. He didn't want me to go if it affected any family gathering um, events. And I remember there was a time where going to Sunday school was because uh, it it was affecting something that was going on with the family and he didn't want me to go then but I but my mom said you know he's not here on Sunday mornings to see whether or not you're going so you go ahead and go so but my mom as long as church didn't affect the immediate family that was fine and it so over the years, it just developed into this pattern of there was my folks from church, and then there was my family, and they were, what had evolved was two separate worlds, and there were a couple times where there were people from church like, well, why don't you invite your family? Why don't you bring your family to, to church, or why don't you invite your mom to women's retreat? But I just knew what the... I knew what the answer was. So just from 
time growing up. So it didn't necessarily happen. It did, I didn't invite them because I just, I knew. Don't know if that makes much sense, but. Oh, it makes a lot of sense and I can relate. <laughs> yeah. So hope that answered the, the question in a oh. kind of round that way. No, no, it did. Thank you. Um, so what about your brother in all of this? I don't know if he's older or younger, if, you know, he had questions or, or anything like that. I mean, how did he play into all of this? My brother's younger than me and he, he never made a choice as the years went on to, to embrace a particular faith movement. And when the time came where I was ordained a priest in the community of Christ. He had a kids that were playing softball and he said, I, I really wish I could be there for it, but the girls have softball games that they need to be at and I need to be there for that. So, you know, I fully support what you're doing. And, but other than that, um, we've had this peaceful, I guess a, a peaceful coexistence by not, intermingling that much. I do remember as I'm sitting here thinking about it, when I was still in youth group stage, he did come and play volleyball a few times with people from church because there were quite a few people his age, but um, that it was never anything that persisted. He never wanted to continue to come. So, yeah. So I'm interested in this idea that you were looking into the LDS Church and Community of Christ at the same time. Um, and, you know, just a little backstory on Patty and I, uh, you let, have let me borrow a book that um, I was mm -hmm. at the Mormon churches and their differences, or it's, yeah. it's an older book um, that has just various topics of this is this um, doctrine or theology or, you know, view on scripture or whatever between the two churches and they compare and contrast. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny because Patty, uh, when you uh, were reading it, you kind of made little check marks of like, which one <laughs> quote unquote scored the highest. Like, you know, I, I, I used it um, in seminary for bapti my baptism for the dead paper. And I just remember, you know, like going to that chapter and it's like, I don't remember what, exactly you know the numbers that you had put on that particular chapter but you know you kind of scored each church and what you thought and and I just thought that was so interesting because um you know from today's point of view um I feel like the two churches have taken drastic drastic um different paths but you know back in the 70s correct this is when this was uh, early 80s early 80s, 80s. Okay. You know, there definitely were large, large, large differences, um, but some of the more talked about differences uh, that we talk about today hadn't necessarily happened yet. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, in the mind of Patty in the early 80s, you know, what was it that drew you to the reorganization over the LDS Church, which I don't, I don't want to get in like a, you know, big mm -hmm. contrast and comparison, but, but what was it that drew you to uh, community of Christ. I th I think it was more of a sense of community connection overall. Being that being that I was I was going to approach both churches as being a convert. Um, the LDS Church, I was getting negative vibes from my family on. So in the the community of Christ had just a as far as like how they handled their missionary program. 
for example. Um, the Community of Christ doesn't have two missionaries going around and knocking on doors uh, and given and given neighborhoods. So there was never going to be that. There was never the the pressure to become a member that maybe the LDS church had, you know, as I look back on it. And even before 1984, when Section 156 came about, there was more of an idea of women had a place, even though it wasn't a priesthood place, they were still involved in the church. And I even remember in my own congregation of I was asked to give the offertory and and I think that was the beauty of living in Southern California because I heard about other areas of the community of Christ that they didn't even allow women to do that. So that reflects the cultural differences from Southern California community of Christ to the Midwest community of Christ. You get variations of liberal and conservative, how we approach um, non-priesthood involvement in worship services. But in my area, they had more of a, they took a, a more liberal view in um, who was to be involved within worship. So I was learning how to give um, opening and closing prayers and um, providing the offertory. And we had a thing then called pre-Sunday school worship, which lasted about 15 minutes. And it was before the church school started. And so I was learning about how to plan worship services by doing these 15-minute pre-Sunday school worship services. So I felt, you know, as I was starting to get into the community of Christ and explore more, I felt I had a place, and whereas I don't know if I would have felt that sense of place in the LDS church. Now, I was I was still very fascinated by the LDS church as far as what they were doing in their temples and what a baptism for the dead looked like, or what do they do in a marriage that makes them think that it can seal them and make it last forever, or or make a, a family unit last forever. I was still very fascinated by all of that, but I went with what I was sensing was, um, it was really based more on a feeling and what felt right to me. And what I was picking up on faith and how I was understanding scripture was, I was leaning more and more into where the community of Christ was was heading, and that's where I found myself to to lean towards. And then when um, one eighty in nineteen eighty four, when one fifty six happened, it reaffirmed more for me that as a woman, I have a shared responsibility with the brethren, so to speak. That. Um, my role for um, the building up of Zion and building community um, was just as much my responsibility as it was theirs. And, and I felt affirmed by my church in that way. I always felt affirmed by God that I was equal to men, but 
but to have that, okay, you have a shared responsibility, you know, whether you're a priesthood or not. And that's what I think 156 did for me was it affirmed that women are equals and they do have a, a place in mission that it didn't exist before. It was kind of like the seal on that. So, yeah, that's so interesting. Um, you know, a lot of times I've heard people that can still struggle with the idea of all are called, but not all are called to priesthood. But to have that affirmation for you, um, just that if women could start being ordained, then what does that mean about me, even if I'm not ordained? If I'm a right. woman, um, that means that I have, you know, the, the call to build Zion, I think is what you said, um, is just as important for women as it is for men. And I think that's really, really beautiful. So yeah. what has your life continued to look like since um, you've joined? I mean, I know a little bit about what you've done, but but share with the podcast on what you've done with the church. <laughs> So what what has happened over life it, within the church is I have this amazing group of people throughout the church that are all about embracing the call and living your life to the fullest. And what that has meant as far as church was, like, for example, when I decided to go back to school because I took a break. Um, during my undergrad years. Um, And then I went back to school at age 26 to go full time. I had a a pastor then who was like, you know, if you need resources to help you get your books for school, we can help you do that. And so they helped me out in that regard. Now, I don't, wouldn't say every congregation can do that, but mine at that time did offer to help me out. And then when I left San Diego to go up to San Bernardino to go to Loma Linda, they provided a send-off party for me. You know, they, they lovingly encouraged and cheered me on every step of the way. When I went to Peace Corps, they made sure I got, I got the Herald, and they encouraged me to get in touch with uh, the Apostle for Latin America, who was Dave Brock at the time. So when I was in Honduras, he communicated to me when he was going to be in country, and I had the ability to go up and meet him in San Pedro Sula and to be a part of some church activities there. So there was this real strong connection to the church, even while I was in Peace Corps and helping out. And I went to a reunion my very last week in country and just being a part of that. And then when I, oh, and at one time, I know another amazing example of, of how the church just strongly supports you in different areas. I had injured my knee while I was in Peace Corps training and they sent me to Washington, D.C. to have surgery. And I told Dave what I was what was happening. And so he said, give me a call once you get, once you get to Washington. And, and I, when I did, he says, okay, here's the pastor of the congregation in Washington, DC, and they can make sure that you're, you're doing okay. And, and so on. So I did call them and I, 
I do remember going to church once and that family uh, took me to, I think, a family softball game or one of the kids' softball games. So it's that, that sense of support. Those are just brief examples of the support I have felt. And whenever I have wanted to, to explore new things that encouraged my growth, the church has been there in different, with different people. And uh, like, maybe we can use this new skill that you're working on to help do this or, you know, just this, this loving support over time. And that's what that has looked like. And I've just been so grateful for that kind of encouragement as far as the growth of my gifts and talents and in my own growth as a person. And now every, every few months I get together with different, with different people and we do uh, girl chit chat and solving world peace discussions and Sometimes that's with girls and sometimes it's with um, guys and other people. So it's just about getting together and building community in a, in a little bit more intimate ways than maybe just on Sunday morning. And that has also been real important to me is not only what we do on Sunday, but how can I connect with you outside of church? Because for most of us who are are either preaching on a Sunday morning or teaching church school classes on Sunday or presiding. Sunday mornings can be hectic and crazy, and you get to know each other at one level, but but I'm real interested in, in how can I get to know these people who I call my church family in, in a more, I guess you could say, intimate way. Yeah, how can I how can I truly call you a friend other than a kind of I go to church with you on Sunday and what we have in common is that we're a part of the same church, but how can I get to know you on a more personal level? And that's always been what what's been really important for me. And it's it's helped me feel more connected in the faith movement and getting to know people and hearing their their journey. And when my father passed away almost six years ago, those connections helped me get through a very difficult grieving process, and which I'm very grateful for. So to me, that's what community is about. And that's what the church has been about um, as I've grown and changed and developed those spiritual gifts that God has given, um, it's been with community. I love how you highlighted both, you know, kind of the macro level community where, um, you know, you were getting connected to different pastors on the other side of the country, et cetera. But then talking about small groups that are, it sounds like talking about mission and peace and reconciliation and, you know, the things that we uh, proclaim that matter, that it can um, just kind of start where you're at and start in the small circles of where you're at, which I think is really, really powerful. And honestly, I think that's how we change the world. So, yeah. oh, keep going. Oh, I was going to, what I was going to add was I remember in, back in 1980, there was this bumper sticker and I think they should um, um, uh, 
bring it back again, but it it had the words peace in really big letters. And then at the bottom, it said, if it's to be, it's up to me. And I think out of any mission um, that has stuck with me from early on, that has been the bit what has driven me. So mission is about peace and it starts with the conversations that you and I have, Brittany. It starts with the conversations that I have with, with other people, you know, like could be with my, the pastor. It could be with the lady who sits on the other side of the cubicle wall from me at work. You know, it's, you know, there's this high level mission where we write letters to, you know, our president and senators and other leaders. And those are very important, but sometimes that can get to the point of, but what can I do? That seems, what can I do in my everyday interactions? And we can do it like with our neighbor, but, you know, how can we have peaceful conversations with with people we go to church with, because I have learned over time, people do disagree about how missions should happen at church. And, you know, how do you work through those disagreements and those times where you may not get along with these individuals you go to church with? Because that's the reality of what happens. And you've seen situations where people don't want to go to church anymore because of relate incidents that do happen at church and I think some of the ways that you can get around or work through that is developing those solid deep relationships with each other where you feel comfortable and say hey we need to talk Mm -hmm. that's what's been really important for me after being in the church for 38 years so thank you for that so I'm wondering, um, I mean, I know that you've had a little bit of interest in, you know, this Latter-day Seeker increased migration of of people who are interested in community of Christ. And I would say that it goes beyond just Latter-day Seekers, um, that we are getting interest um, from Seekers all over the place, from a wide variety of, of denominations and even unchurched people, or maybe people that um, you know, whose family grew up RLDS, but they've been disassociated with the church for a number of years who are now getting interested again. Um, being a convert yourself and once, mm-hmm. you know, a seeker, uh, what would you say to seekers who are interested in community of Christ? What would your advice be? Or, you know, if you could just sit down and, and have a, a chit chat with a bunch of seekers, what would you, what would you want to talk to them about and tell them? I guess... I would want to hear where their where their journey is at, and say, you know, what what has brought you to this to this particular place, and what is it you are seeking? I I remember when I was first learning about the story of Joseph Smith as an example. At fifteen years, of, I was fifteen when I was learning about who he was and reading that he was a youth, and he went and sat and prayed in this grove. And, and I think I had remembered reading at one time he was 15 years old. And so what really resonated with me was God listens to the prayers of teenagers. And for me, that was really important at 15, that God wasn't necessarily 
not only listened to the big adults, but he listened to, you know, goofy teenagers like how I was. And so that's something that was important to me. But I guess what I'm to to really answer your question, I would want to ask, you know, what what's going on in your life at this particular moment that has brought you to to seeking? Because the answer is going to be different for every seeker. And they're they're either looking for either a sense of community or a deeper connection with God or or something that I haven't even considered, you know, and that's why sitting down and having that conversation to find out what, where they're at and what they're looking for is what's important. Yeah, thanks for that. And then I just have a couple other questions, but maybe they'll be wrapped up into one. Um, what are your hopes for Community of Christ? I mean, where do you see the church headed? Where do you see, whether that's um, on a local level or a world church level, uh, what are your, your hopes and what gets you excited about Community of Christ today? I think what gets me excited is we're really starting to explore what is church, what is church going to look like as we move forward. Um, we have this traditional model of going to a church location, regardless of what that looks like, whether it's a traditional church building or a storefront or or some other kind of um, building someone's home, you know, for a traditional Sunday service. But does it look like maybe meeting at a coffee shop or does it mean having um, like a book club, having church? So for me, it's exploring new ways of coming together as community and experiencing worship. And I think the church is at a place now where it's where it's willing to listen to those conversations and explore or what it means to have church outside of the box that it has been in and i know we've always the church has always tried to explore new ways of bringing the message and mission of of Jesus Christ to people, but it's really starting to want to explore different ways of doing that in the world. And even there's a, I think there's a greater sense of urgency. I think there's an understanding that there are still people who will want to do a traditional Sunday morning experience, but also we need to have consideration for those that that traditional Sunday morning experience isn't meeting the needs of, of people and how do we get together and have community. And I don't know what that's going to look like. And I think that's what inspires me to continue to ask the question and to try new things, but there's still a basic question our basic response that has existed since the beginning of not only the community of Christ and Joseph Smith, but we're talking back in the days of Peter and Paul, and that's inviting people to Christ. And that's been a constant from the, from the beginning of this movement. And, and being a part of that faith tradition 
of Peter and Paul up through Joseph Smith and Wallace B. Smith and the Ron Harmons of today. Um, those are, that's what inspires me to, to continue to keep trying. We don't have all the answers, but we don't also know all the questions either. So it's continually to try to strive and ask the questions and, and to keep exploring and moving forward with that. I love everything you just said. <laughs> Thank you. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share? I mean, that, those are pretty much the questions that I have for um, you. Yeah. I, I'm always available to, um, to share and to sit and visit with people. And, uh, so if anybody ever wants to talk and to reach out, um, you can get a hold of me on, on Facebook. You're welcome to do that. And also if, um, gosh, I can't think of anything else. So I guess it's <laughs> a bit of that. So, oh yes. And there was another thing too. What I have always loved about the, the church is the sense of non-traditional. If you're not a wife or a mother, there is a place for you. And there's many wonderful people within the church that who are women who may be wise, but aren't mothers for different reasons. And you have, you have a place of ministry here. So you don't have to fit in a particular box, you know, as far as to bring priesthood ministry, you have to be um, another priesthood member's wife you can have a leadership position irrespective of the role that your your husband has in the church and that openness to the ministry that women can bring that's separate from her husband, I think is, or even if you don't have a husband, that's important too. Or if you're not a mother, there is a place for you here. And I think that's important too, because community isn't just traditional moms and dads and kids it's it's we're all kids and we all have this connection with each other and you can form the family that you need to form for your for your growth and development thank you for lifting that up i think that's one of my most favorite things about community of christ um and one of the things that i wanted to really figure out when i was first looking into community of christ is what was the culture that my daughters were going to be raised in um, as far as expectations Mm -hmm. on their future lives. So I'm really glad that you lifted that up. Well, thank you, Patty. This is, this has just been a delight. Thanks for listening to Project Zion podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use, and while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. 